Okay, so I want to talk about football. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's so on my mind right now. It's, uh, yeah, we had two playoff games yesterday, two playoff games going on today. I got the uh, tape machine, not tape, we don't tape anymore, right? Is that so dated, the tape? No, we're recording, I'm recording the games, and then uh, I'll, en I'll enjoy them later. And then tomorrow night is the national championship game, which is just, this is just the weekend, the creme de la creme. Four, four teams in the playoffs and the national championship. So be praying for me and my wife during that. I want to talk about something. I saw a movie the other day. I'd heard a lot about it, and um, usually Kathy and I don't see a movie until it gets to the three-buck chuck, what we call, you know, the, the $3 movie theater down there, and that's where we usually see movies. Uh, but this one, it, it, it ended up being for sale, and that was really pretty cheap. It was like $5.99, so we rented the movie, and I watched it. And one of the reasons I was intrigued is Joshua, my son, he... Uh, you know, he's, he he, he kind of swims in the deep end of the pool. I mean, he, he reads the, the real heavy literature and the classic writers throughout the ages and authors and philosophers, and he goes really deep. And he, and he said this movie was one of the most disturbing movies he's ever seen. And uh, that, was, that got my attention. I'm like, really? You know, for you to say that, that's quite an assessment. I'm very interested in seeing it. <clears throat> so I really didn't want to uh, <clears throat> wait till it got to the three-buck chuck. I decided to rent it. We watched it, and he was right. It was absolutely fascinating and horrifying. The movie's called Joker. Now, most of you are maybe familiar with the Batman and Robin series. Like, I can vividly remember, as a small boy, the premiere of Batman and Robin with Adam West, you know. Uh, I made my family, my dad, my mom, my sister, sit down and watch the premiere with me. I was so stoked because commercials were coming up. Da 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 Batman, you know, and and so they did, they watched it, and as you've come to know, the series was really campy, you know, pow, you know, and it was almost like like the cartoon, not like, like the, like the, the, the uh, what do you call them, paperback? Yeah. And, uh, but I loved it, you know, and as soon as that came out, man, I had, I got first, whatever, first birthday, I got the whole Batman thing, you know. I had my belt, utility belt with the, you know, the, the bat boomerang thing, and I, you know, I had all the gidgets and gasmos, I had the mask and and I'd run around the house, you know, in my Batman outfit. It was just the coolest thing in the world. And I remember I got to see them once and meet them, Batman and Robin. And it was uh, at the forum. At, I think it was something, I can't remember what the actual event was, because all I wanted to do was see them. I can't remember if it was a basketball game or something. But they were there, and after, afterwards I got to meet the real Adam West and, and Robin and I just was crazy about it. Of course, now one of the villains you remember is called the Joker, and that was played by a guy named Cesar Romero, uh, a classic, a, a very trained uh, classic actor who took this role and he made it in, into this wonderful character. And he's still kind of the prototype when it comes to people looking like the Joker. 
they still go after the look that was originally Cesar Romero's look. And the character has gotten more developed. As we've gone along, the Joker became less of a, uh, less of a, of a comic book type character and more of a reality character. Heath Ledger played the character of the Joker in one of the last films that he did. Uh, and it was a Batman film. And he, he kind of broke the mold. He, he presented Batman, I mean, he presented the Joker in a, kind of in a full, fully, in, fully insane. And it was disturbing. In fact, he said it was really disturbing to him. Some people actually think he never got over playing that role. And that in some ways it contributed to his depression and his ultimate, ultimate overdosing and dying of drugs. Joaquin Phoenix plays the Joker in this. Now, he is one of my favorite actors. I love film. And nobody does crazy better than Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, he, in Gladiator, he played the, the insane Roman emperor, and they should have handed him the Academy Award. He got absolutely robbed. It was one of the most spectacular performances ever. He's a tremendous actor. And he plays the Joker in the movie named Joker. And he's utterly mesmerizing. It's just a tour de force. Again, I'm already like, just hand him the Oscar. It is insane, the way he acted. It was just me. And this Joker does really, really, really terrible things. He, he is a, a, a brutal villain. He is the personification of evil. But the movie is much, 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 much more complex than that because it just does not start like it so often did with the Joker already being a villain. It starts with him being just a guy named Arthur Fleck. And Arthur Fleck is like many of the people in our society. Arthur Fleck is on the margins. Arthur Fleck is a little different. He's a little strange. Arthur Fleck is dealing with some profound mental health issues. And because of these mental health issues, Arthur Fleck is friendless. He cares for his invalid mother in a tenement, one-room apartment in utter abject poverty. He's the kind of people we just don't want to see or pretend they don't exist, and yet they are all around us in our society. He, he struggles to cling to sanity through his government-funded counselor and medications for his mental health. And he's not a bad guy, though he may have, like a lot of people, the urges to do bad things. But he's taking his medication regularly, he's caring for his mother, he sees his counselor, and then all, although she's not really seeing him, there's a poignant scene where he's telling her how he really feels, and you can just see she's checked out. And he's like, look at me, look at me, listen to me. And yet you can also imagine her sitting all day long with people just like that, that it comes to a point where you're just jaded and whatever they say just flies over your head. 
<sighs> and maybe, as we look at the character in the beginning, with a little bit of help and affection, Arthur might have just led, led a quiet life without hurting anybody. He might have. Probably would have. But systemically, everything starts to break down. And that quiet life is ripped apart. Budget cuts take away his mental health counselor. Budget cuts take away his access to his medications for his mental illness. He becomes more schizophrenic, more delusional. And because he's more weird, he stands out a little bit more and he becomes kind of like that new kid at the school. That's a little strange that nobody knows that somehow there are just those predators that look at somebody like that and say, let's go beat him up. And he becomes a victim of violent crimes and assaults. And he spirals, mocked and beaten into madness. At one point, he's unjustly accused by his boss of doing something he didn't do. He was beat up holding a sign. He's being a sign spinner, and he gets beat up, and a kid runs off with his sign. And the boss blames him and says, the company said, you stole the sign. He's like, why would I steal the sign? You're fired. You're done. And you just start seeing the cracking and the fracturing and the unfairness. But you know, it's not just the bullies. It's the bystanders as well. See, he's easy to identify as a, at a certain level as like, oh, he's the personification of evil. But what's harder is to see the evil that's around him in society. Yesterday, I saw a film clip of a bus where a lady sits down, an elderly lady sits down across from a gentleman across from her. He looks at her. He gets up and he punches her with a full swing right in the face and knocks her out. She falls over on the bus. And every other seat is taken. And guess what everybody did? Nothing. Nobody moved. Nobody moved. Now they're looking for the suspect. You see, it's that that surrounds author that, that, that becomes kind of like, whoa, there's something bigger happening here. He's the weird guy. He's the kind of guy that um, most of us would kind of try to avoid, do anything we can to avoid getting in a conversation with him. But just like every other human being, he has a longing he has a need for connection. We all do. We're social creatures, and he's no different. But because he's a misshapen kind of person, he becomes the pariah that society sees as worthy to be discarded and forgotten or not even thought about, just pretend they're not there. And what we learn is that his awfulness is rooted in insanity. He literally is insane. And he's evil. But what we got to grapple with 
is the evil that surrounded him. The evil of indifference. The evil of misplaced priorities in our society. And we've got to grapple with that. I mean, most of us don't struggle with that kind of level of mental illness, though I've known many people that have, and I've worked with many people that have, and I've been with many families helping them who have people like that in their family. Come here. What did you ask? What she said is exactly what I'm talking about. Instead of dehumanizing people, humanize them. And I know that I've been guilty of dehumanizing people. I know that there are times in my life where I've been the person that doesn't stand up, the person that doesn't speak up, the person that doesn't reach out or show the kind of compassion or generosity that this culture needs. And, and often um, in my life, I've been the person that mocked more than helped. I'm as guilty as anybody. But... I'm reminded to love the unlovable amongst us just like God loves us. And he tells us to do this be, not because he's just trying to be nice. He knows the illness. He knows what our sick society needs. And that's the scary thing about evil because we don't need, you know, oh, the devil to make us do it. We can do it fine <laughs> by ourselves. We can excuse our behaviors. We can count our sins as little, but these little sins become cumulative sins and create an atmosphere where people drown. And Joker, that film, showed me the horror of it. Showed me the horror of, of not just him, but everything that's so subtle around him that failed. It's really a mirror to us and the truth is, there's a lot of monsters in the world, but the truth is, in many ways, our society has helped create them. And Jesus calls us out no in certain terms for that. Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, where moth and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasure in the shemaim, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, because where your treasure is, there is your heart also. I, uh, I'm staggered. <clears throat> this country I live in has a population of 327 million. 327 million Americans. And our 327 million Americans fund the single largest socialist program in the world. It's called the U.S. Defense Department. And from 2001 to 2016, under Obama and under George Bush, the U.S. taxpayers funded defense to the tune of $10 trillion, $303 billion. That's $10 trillion, $303 billion. And I say socialist because this is not a capitalistic venture. For example, this past year, we, uh, 
We had a $681 billion budget for defense, and we sold, as the number one arms dealer in the world, the United States sold $68 billion worth of weapons. So we still ended up spending $613 billion more than we made. That's not a capitalist system. This year, as a nation, we signed a $735 billion defense bill, the largest ever. It is bigger than the next seven superpowers behind us in their defense budgets added up. Those next seven nations have a population of 3.2 billion, nearly half the world population, funding those seven budgets of the next seven superpowers. And ours is bigger than all of those put together. And no matter who is from 2017 in the White House over the next four administrations, whoever they are, it is already projected in the next 16 years, the next 14 years now from 2017, it will shatter all previous expenditures on military budgets. But as a society, we can't afford mental health care. We want to cut food stamps. We have taken off the shelf meals for poor children going to school, hungry. Because in our society, we think those are the real problems. Jesus said, on the final judgment, the king will reply to those he's judged, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't close me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. And they said, Lord, when, we, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger needing clothes, sick or in prison, and not help you? And he said, what you didn't do for the least, you didn't do for me. Where are these teachings of Jesus in our society? And it's not just Jesus. It's kind of the evolution that started back in the Torah, in the Old Testament. The Jews were really weird. The Jews were weird because they, they wrote things into their, into their book, their sacred book, that was unlike other people's. Like in Deuteronomy 15.11, God says, they'll never cease to be poor in the land. And that's why I'm commanding you to open wide your hand to your brother, and to the poor, and to the needy in your land. In Leviticus 19, God says, when an alien resides with you in your land, you must not oppress him. Instead, treat them as well as you treat your own people, and love them as much as you love yourself. Remember, you were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Weird stuff. Leviticus 23, 22. When you harvest the crops of your land, don't harvest the grain along the edges of your field and don't pick up what, what is dropped. 
Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living amongst you. Wow. Exodus, if you lend money to one of my people amongst you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. That's just David Gonzalez. You know, most of you know David. He does all our posting. He's a great guy. Husband to an amazing wife, father to two amazing daughters that are in high school. Soon they'll be going off to college. He just paid off his college debt. (laughs) He just paid it off. I don't know. He's like 40-something years old. He was just like, dude, finally, I paid off my college debt. I'm like, wow, you know, even though, on, like on our budget, like what we did with, with, you know, Nicole and going to SBCC and two years of junior college and then going to San Luis for the next two years and, you know, and I'm, you know, I asked Kathy, like, I'm so stupid, I'm like, so is she still paying off her college? Oh, Yeah so many hundred dollars a month, and I'm like, wow. I mean, she's really lucky. She's got a good job. And and there's been people talking about getting rid of college debt or just debts. You know, the, the Jews had this weird thing called the year of Jubilee every 50th year. And what they did was kind of shake the monopoly board because the, the Jewish society realized that certain at certain times, any of us can catch breaks, and once you start making money, you can make more and more and more, and the whole thing kind of tilts. And then there's people behind the eight ball, and they just get stuck behind the eight ball, and they can never recover. And so they had this thing called the Jubilee, where it was a canceling of debts. So people could get out from under the rock and have a chance, again, to, to maybe make it, to maybe get out from under it all. Proverbs 19, 17. This is one of my favorites. The one who is gracious to the poor lends to God, and God will repay him for his good deed. Isn't that crazy? I never really, you know, I, I have to remind that. Like when you, what you're lending to the poor, you're lending directly to God. Wow. James in the New Testament is purported to be the brother of Jesus says this. This is really interesting. In James 1.27, he says, Pure, genuine religion in the sight of God means you take care of orphans and widows in their stress, and you refuse to let the world corrupt you. Orphans and widows were the most vulnerable in the culture and the society 2,000 years ago. And this Jesus follower said, Yeah, no, we can't. We have to, we have to take care of those. The great... Republican president and five-star general, Dwight D. Eisenhower, said this about his culture then. He said, every gun that is made and every warship launched and every rocket fired signifies in the final sense a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and are not clothed. This world in arms is not spending money alone. It's spending the sweat of its laborers, the genius of its scientists, the hopes of its children. The cost of one modern heavy bomber is this, a modern brick school in more than 30 cities. 
There's two electric power plants serving a town of 60,000 population. It is two fine, fully equipped hospitals. It's 50 miles of concrete roadway. We pay for a single fighter plane with a half million bushels of wheat. We pay for a single destroyer with new homes that could have housed more than 8,000 people. This is, I repeat, the best way of life to be found on the road the world has been taken. This is not the way of life at all, in any true sense. Under the cloud of threatening wars, it is humanity hanging from a cross of iron. Is there no other way the world may live? I'd say Jesus was trying to point us to that other way. And I'd say 2,000 years later, it's incumbent upon people who claim to follow Jesus to keep pointing that out. Peace and grace be with you.